Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Gary McFarlane, our cryptocurrency analyst at Interactive Investor. So Gary, um, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of people have probably heard of Bitcoin. Um, having said that, the vast majority of people have probably heard of Einstein's theory of relativity. That's not to say that they understand it. So stripping it back to basics, give us a quick whiz through what Bitcoin actually is. The first thing to say about Bitcoin is it's a database. So it's a way of storing loads of numbers about transactions and when those transactions were made. And it's all built in code. So it's all software and it's set up according to the white paper to be digital cash. So just like the cash in your pocket, a peer to peer payment system. As I say, it's all built on code, but what's special about it is that uh, unlike most databases, which you'll have one central copy, with um, Bitcoin, the tech behind it is called blockchain. And so you have lots of copies of the, um, the database that get copied between all the so-called miners, who are the people which are computers that are verifying that these transactions are correct and that there's no double spending going on. And that's a complicated process, but basically it's just a brute force thing that requires quite a lot of computing power. And that's what gives the, uh, the network its security. So you've got all of these distributed computers all operating in a decentralized fashion at least in theory, and um, working to validate for various verifications and validate for the blocks um, that are produced. And these blocks of transactions, all this data, is linked together. And you can't change one part of that linkages, all those linkages, without um, destroying the um, chain. So therefore, it's very difficult to, um, to censor and very difficult to change. So it's also known as immutable. So when a transaction is done say on Barclay card you can get it reversed <laughs> which is good so that when there's fraud you can get it reversed with Bitcoin it's a bit more complicated you can't reverse anything as such you can change the code do what they call a fork and make it into a different um, um, protocol but you can't actually reverse the transaction although as I say there are technical ways around it but that's a key difference also so it's immutable and it's been going for 10 years and um, we might come to this later because people will say, well, this is making money out of thin air. But others will say, well, it's for the size of a network. As you'd look at Facebook and value it on the basis of its, how many people are using it, how big the network is, something similar you can apply, some would argue, uh, to Bitcoin. Um, and so it's this decentralized way of moving value around the world, digital money. Um, although, of course, there are there is a digital money form that we're all quite familiar with when we go to the bank or when we get paid, which is um, fiat money, which is represented digitally in our bank accounts um, and so forth. But this is different in a digital way, in a digital sense, in that um, we're talking about uh, a currency that has no uh, central authority, no issuer, such as the government. So given the sturdiness of the technological model you've just described, why do you think over the last few years in particular, not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrencies in general have, have had such a, a hard time and, a, and has to be said a negative press? Well, I think on a broader scale, um, whenever we're talking about a new technology, um, the impact of which is not certain and an understanding of which is not um, uniform, uh, that's understandable that there's going to be doubts. But even more so when we're talking about something as important uh, to the financial system as money, the lifeblood of the system and the whole notion of being able to create money, this new form of private money behind the back of governments is obviously going to be quite scary to the mainstream. 
and a lot of the uh, boosters, at least the early boosters of Bitcoin, made that their uh, pitch that we were here to disrupt the central bankers and the banksters, if you like, all of that, so a bit of an anarchic kind of pitch, um, and, and to put the little person back in charge, and no longer will the um, governments be able to dilute away or inflate away the value of a dollar in our pocket or the pound in our pocket. So it's no accident that Bitcoin was um, invented at the time of the financial crash. So for those sorts of reasons, uh, established players, uh, institutions, banks, etc., are very wary of having anything to do with Bitcoin because precisely because of its, um, it doesn't have a central issuer. There's no one you can go to, no one in charge. If you lose your money or your wallet is hacked, and most importantly, there's no regulation. <laughs> um, although that's coming down the line. And that also makes extremely, um, makes people extremely wary of going anywhere near Bitcoin. That's people in the know in finance um, beyond that consumers lots of people as you say know about bitcoin now but um other than it's some kind of digital cash the level of uh, education around bitcoin is still extremely low even in high finances so, so is it fair to say it's, it's fairly liquid then because um obviously it's not as easy to buy and sell as something commonly traded such as an equity for example yeah. it's a fair old amount of effort I, I understand to uh, to yeah. get hold of any bitcoin things are a lot easier now but then again you need to know where to go but um coinbase to be fair have been doing a fairly good job of making it easy to uh, download their app um get some money onto it mm-hmm. jump to all the anti-money laundering questions and so forth, set up your account and you can go and buy yourself a fraction of a, a Bitcoin fairly easily. You just have to pay slightly higher prices, <laughs> fees on Coinbase for that ease of use. So that's an ease of use way around it. But if you want to do it much more cheaply, then it gets a little bit more complicated. You need to go to a crypto exchange and you need to find which, and Coinbase is one, but it, it is American based and it is regulated in some respects. The vast majority of, of, of the other exchanges aren't regulated. So you need to pick the right exchange. Um, once you've got some money onto your exchange, which means that you'll have to go and get a source of Bitcoin from somewhere else, because you can't use fiat on lots of these exchanges. It's just crypto to crypto. Once you've got some, Bitcoin on there, you can go, or some other currency, um, Tether, for example, which is a stable coin linked to the dollar. So one Tether is, is worth one dollar and is used as a proxy on these exchanges. Get hold of some of that and then you can buy the, the Bitcoin. So that makes it more complicated when you've got to think about storing it, which is the whole custody issue. And build hold whole banks to store bullion, the Bank of England in the, in the vaults there, at quite a lot of expense. With Bitcoin, you're talking about a private key, which is your access to your Bitcoin, is a 64 character string, alphanumeric string. If anyone else gets that string, they have your Bitcoin. If you lose, lose that string, you've lost your Bitcoin. So that is a huge issue, especially when you're talking about hundreds of millions or more sitting behind uh, an address such as uh, you know represented by one of those keys one of the other things that's followed bitcoin around it yes yeah, so liquid liquidity is quite thin compared yes. to equity yeah. so it didn't quite answer the, no, no, the no, question but it's no, improved greatly absolutely but, um, understood yeah. and another thing of course which tends to follow the cryptocurrency around bitcoin in particular seems to be volatility it's been up as high as twenty thousand bucks and yeah. it's now somewhere around the 11 12 so, but but Within that, I mean, Bitcoin is up 215% just this year, 2019. So, so what have been some of the drivers there? Facebook's Libra would be one of the drivers. That's more recent times. But uh, before Mr. Zuckerberg's project came along, which had been trailed for about six months, we knew it was something that was coming down the line. Prior to that, the uh, so-called crypto winter, which is the bottom of the bear market, which we saw last year, that flushed out the weak hands, if you like, a lot of, a lot of that hot consumer 
funds that came in on the back of the, the rise and people just wanted to you know with the fear of missing out was kicking in people wanted a bit of yeah. the action yeah. uh, so that quickly exited almost as quickly as it went in as you pointed out and the air rushed out but in that period we saw high net worth individuals family offices hedge funds trading firms other institutional players starting to sniff around and um, might be a stretch to say that they've led the charge back but that's been a big part of the picture institutional buying and that's been given the boost, I guess, by Facebook's Libra in terms of the um, credibility it lends to the space. So that confirms to those types of people, the institutions, that perhaps it might be worth having half a percent in crypto, which today really means Bitcoin. That's what um, people are buying, I think, when we're talking about institutions anyway. Also, they have a little coins that not people are really playing with at the moment. So yeah, so that's been uh, driving sentiment. Also, with the anticipation of better routes in for institutions who want to get into uh, crypto, as you're saying, it's complicated and it still is complicated. So there are a number of um, exchanges and ecosystems that are being built. Fidelity is um, set up at Fidelity Digital Assets, which will provide custody services and over-the-counter services for institutions. Backed, which is coming from the Intercontinental Exchange, which is the owner of the New York Stock Exchange, which will be offering the first physically settled Bitcoin futures product. At the moment, we have Bitcoin futures which is another on-ramp, another way in for the institutions. We have regulated futures on on the CME in Chicago, and they're cash settled. But these new ones, when they eventually come out um, from backed, will be will be physically settled, which means you've had to go you know, go to contract. If you go to, if you go to expiry, you've, we have to go and take um, delivery of physical, let's say physical, virtual. <laughs> um, yeah. We have to take delivery of that Bitcoin into your wallet. So that will pressure prices in a good way if you're a bull, I imagine. Yeah, so, and general maturity in terms of the technicals also of uh, Bitcoin, in terms of how the, the network is operating. We're now at uh, what they call um, the hash power. The number of computing, computers on the network is now a record high, which shows you things are busy, even if it's speculative money going around. It's still being, it still is being transferred and still proving its worth as a, uh, a value transfer uh, protocol. So that's also been pushing things and the so-called halving, not wanting to get too technical, but all those miners who are doing the bookkeeping of a network we spoke about earlier, they get paid for going and finding a block and doing that, all that hashing work. They get paid, paid something called a block reward, which today stands at 12.5 Bitcoin for every block that you verify. And that gets halved roughly every four years. So the next halving is next year, which would happen in around May, depending on when the block when it gets to that block and that'll half to 6.25 so you know basic economics in terms of supply and demand if the supply is shrinking that should pressure demand that should increase prices and that's something that's tend to, tended to happen in the past so that's also in the background which predates Libra um, and so on and to wrap all of that up I think the key driver now is probably economic uncertainty in geopolitics yeah, and sure. the general yeah. idea of yeah. Bitcoin as a hedge as a, as, a, as a store of value and as a hedge against uncertainty, which sounds like a very strange thing to say for something that is so volatile in terms of being a store of value. People prefer to buy gold normally as a store of value because it's not going to go up and down by 10% every two minutes, as Bitcoin can do. <laughs> and, uh, but nevertheless, for certain people in certain situations, it is acting as a pretty good store of value for what they want to do. So if you want to get your money out of China and you're a Chinese investor in Hong Kong, which is a playground for China's high net worth individuals and where they park a lot of money, that's all looking a bit precarious. That's a big driver, I would argue, of 
Bitcoin overnight. We saw a few ramp up from the Asia session, and that would be people in China um, looking to buy in. And yeah, stepping back from that, the Financial Conduct Authority recently said that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. Mm. Others, of course, uh, describe it as digital gold. If, if people are interested uh, in this, what has to be described as a fairly nascent asset class or currency, whatever it is, yeah. what line should they fall on in terms of those two yeah. descriptions, do you think? You're right, you know, and that's a new technology. You need to try and understand it and come to a judgment about it. And I think that the position is, it depends what we're talking about. So Bitcoin, we can safely say, I would argue, has failed as money in the form of um, digital cash, going out and buying a pint with it. People don't use it for those purposes. People use it more like gold bullion to store their value. But when the Bank of England and the FCA and others talk about Bitcoin as lacking intrinsic value, the first thing people come back with is, well, what about the paper in your pocket? Um, what's its intrinsic value in terms of paper money, fiat cash? In terms of gold, what's its intrinsic value? Okay, well, it does have some use, is used in electronics and jewelry, but that only accounts for what, five to 10% of the uses. The rest of the uses is just being a nice yellow metal that doesn't degrade over time and has proven over millennia to be able to store value, but it doesn't have anything intrinsic to it other than that. And so when we come to Bitcoin, it might fail on the tests of money in terms of, uh, of, of cash, but one part is succeeding in it at the moment. And this is why I think its supporters have pivoted towards the idea that it is digital gold. So where does that intrinsic value come from? Such persons might argue, but it's based on its network, that network value, and you can take a look at the break-even for miners and put that in as your base level of the intrinsic value of a Bitcoin in terms of the amount of computing power that's uh, dumped into maintaining the network, that's the underlying value, and that's anchored on what the currency, I guess we can call it, uh, can be used to do. And so its use cases vary. One, obviously big one is, is crime, but it's a question of controversy as to how big a role that plays yeah. in the, the Bitcoin ecosystem. MIT did some research showing it was about 2% it was used by crime, but who knows? But that's definitely a part of it. On the dark web, you can pay for, for things with crypto, but for other persons and that in different places, it works differently, has different, you know, different reasons why you might want to own it, such sure. as the Chinese um, investor, such as the person in Iran or company in Iran under sanctions from the US where Bitcoin mining is now booming. Or if you're on the Chinese-Russian border, where apparently hundreds of millions of dollars in the form of Tether we mentioned earlier, which is a stable coin linked to the dollar, because of sanctions, it's just easier to use Tether to um, conduct some aspects of cross-border trade. So you can see all these little places where it's seeping in, which are on the fissures and on the edges of the system. But its ultimate value, I think, will derive from People look, look to its scarcity, so only, it's only ever going to be 21 million. We're now up to 17 and a half or thereabouts. Look to its scarcity as its, as its source of value. And I think actually it's more looking to it as a form of global money. It may or may not turn into be useful as cash, but at the moment it's turning out to be useful as a store of value as a form of digital gold. And that's why I think people see it as having value, intrinsic or otherwise. Sure. And just finally, picking up on the digital digital cash thing that you mentioned there, mm. obviously there's been a lot of noise around Facebook's uh, Libra mm. proposition. Do you think that's uh, going to get off the ground, that particular one? Where we are at the moment, it doesn't sound like it, but um, an organisation the size of uh, Facebook and what they've done by letting the cat out of the bag 
means that even Facebook doesn't get its Libra, or rather the Libra Association's Libra. Let's claim it's uh, separate to them. Even if they don't get it out the door, something else is going to come along. So I think it's set off uh, competition at the level of corporations, big tech, is going to be first to actually come up with a, a use for blockchain technology, and not just in finance, however uses also, obviously. So there's competition on that realm, but there's also the competition at the level of governments in between the blocks. So already China's talking about loosening some of its previously draconian anti-crypto laws, like banned exchanges and something called initial coin offerings um, in China. So a lot of it's taking place, a lot of the trading is offshore and stuff. Um, but apparently they they're, they're passed a law saying that Bitcoin is legal property um, recently, and they seem to be warming in the space. Uh, so that's interesting. And I've been watching, the, I think, the former governor of the People's Bank of China, the central bank in China, was remarking that um, we need to watch what they're doing with Libra because we're, we're ahead in digital payments, not crypto payments, but digital in terms of we, we chat and the Tencent and Alipay. Uh, those products which are huge in China and they are they are ahead uh, on that and they want to stay ahead and so they're looking how they can perhaps do something similar to Libra and because of their state direction from the top the regulatory pain that um, Zuckerberg's mob are having might not be the same in China if it's, if it's state directed if they get permission from the Chinese Communist Party it's a different ball game and in Europe we're talking about German politicians um, of Germany setting up its own Libra type um, instrument backed by euros just to give the European Union the push to start moving because uh, Europe is so far behind in terms of the lack of unicorns in tech, the lack of any big tech companies and they don't want to find themselves as the only block that's not doing anything serious on digital money. That's uh, another one to watch but I think, I think it will get out the door in some form or other and it'll probably end up in a pilot of a couple of million people which will be sealed off in a sandbox for a bit, but it'll come to fruition, I think, in some, in some form uh, or in some jurisdiction. Um, because the problem with um, Bitcoin is you can't turn it off. Libra is a bit easier to turn off, I guess, because it is centralized anyway. It's not quite the same, it doesn't have the same mining setup as far as we know. But yeah, something else will come along. It's a bit like whack-a-mole for the regulators. So yeah. if they squash Libra, something else will pop up somewhere else from the Cayman Islands to Belarus, which has its own little blockchain park where you get it tax-free and stuff. And lots of these uh, jurisdictions are eager to get crypto business. So um, it's a tough one. And the regulators and the central bankers are behind the curve. And I think they're now wishing they'd got some regulations in place. But we'll see. Absolutely fascinating topic. Fascinating insight as well, Gary. And uh, obviously leaves the door open for us to come back at some point in the future and, and see yes. how things are developing. So thanks very much indeed, uh, Gary McFarlane, for that, for that update. And thank you for listening. And uh, do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.